Father, we're just so grateful for so many things that you've blessed us with, Lord, and, and for the greatest gift of all is, is the gift we have of salvation that comes through your son, Jesus Christ, through his blood and through his broken body. And Lord, there's just so much that, that we benefit from through that great transaction that, that you orchestrated for us thousands of years ago. Father, one of the things that we benefit from is that we have your living word. We have the word of God, this Bible that, that uh, we all carry, Lord. Uh, uh, we have the privilege of, of, of being able to hear your voice as we read these words, to know your mind, Lord, to know your will. And so I ask today as we look, as, as Peter focuses in on your word, Lord, that, that we just are all encouraged and all inspired to to take this word a lot more seriously, Lord, to, to uh, just, just make it a very, very important part of our life. And, and, Lord, we just are so grateful that you've given us your word. And so show us today just, just all the things that, that apply to your holy word uh, that we can glean from this text. And I ask you, do that by the power of your Holy Spirit. I ask it in Christ's name. Amen. Perhaps some of you saw the story in the news this past week about this man in Tennessee who was uh, hit by a Jeep and his SUV veered off of the road and, uh, his, uh, and it burst into flames. Uh, some of the uh, motorists, uh, nearby motorists pulled him out of the fire, but the entire SUV was burned to a crisp, except for one thing. There was one thing that didn't catch on fire. There was one thing that wasn't even singed. It came out of that SUV unscathed, and that was his Bible, the Bible he had on the passenger seat. And so everybody around the situation, I mean the police and the passersby said, man, this had to be a miracle of God. And then on the news, if you, you, know, if you listen to some of the evangelical uh, news, uh, they, they touted it as, a, as divine intervention, that, that this Bible could come out of this fire unscathed. So, you know, certainly looks like a miracle to me. But I wonder, here's what I wonder, was it a miracle from God? Or was it a miracle from the devil? Now, wait a minute. I mean, pastor, what do you mean? You mean the devil would save a Bible from fire? You think he would do a miracle like that to keep a Bible from burning up? You better believe he would. And let me tell you, and I'm not saying that's what happened here, but let me tell you why he would do that. Because he wants you to think of the Bible as some kind of magic book. He wants you to think of the Bible as some kind of lucky charm. He wants you to actually, for some people, he wants them to make, he puts it in their heart to make the Bible their God, this book their God. Now, I hate to tell you this, but this Bible is nothing more than print on paper, bound in leather. Some of you have it bound in leather. Some of you have it bound in uh, bonded leather, fake leather, and you got tape around the corners. But... I can drop that Bible on the, I don't know if some of you, oh God, what did he do? I can drop this Bible on the floor. I can take this Bible, I can go throw it in the garbage can. 
I could burn this Bible up. I could do anything to this Bible, but I don't do anything to the Word of God. See, it's not the print. It's not, see, some of my cover's even coming off now. It's not the print. It's not the bonded leather that makes this the Word of God. It is God's everlasting words that he's spoken to us that make this the word of God. You know, there are a lot of people that see the Bible as, as some kind of magic book. That's, that's the way they think of it. I mean, there's people who wouldn't go anywhere without their Bibles. I mean, they wouldn't dare not have a Bible sitting on their coffee table. Uh, they wouldn't feel Christian if they didn't have a Bible sitting on their coffee table. They wouldn't feel safe if they didn't have a Bible sitting on their coffee table. It's kind of like Donald Trump. Have y'all seen Donald Trump lately? And I'm not trying to get into politics here, but, but let me, we'll talk about Donald Trump for a minute. I mean, Donald Trump runs around and everywhere he goes, he's got a Bible. He's got the Bible his mama gave him when he was a little kid. Now, mine's been long gone. But he's, he's got, still got the Bible his mama gave him when he was a little kid, and he holds it up, and he says, this is it. This is everything. Well, he's sort of right about that. If you read it, I mean, if you read it, if you've never opened it, it's not a magic book. It's not going to protect you. It's not going to save you. Just because you carry a Bible around or have one on your coffee table, that does not save you. That does not change you. It doesn't protect you. It doesn't chase away demons like some people believe. Man, I know some people that have got demons all over their homes and they got stacks of Bibles in there. The Bible's not going to chase away any demons. The Word of God will, but not this book, not this print. You know, the Bible only is of any good to you if you read it and you obey it. And if you do that, then it's much greater than any magic book. I mean, it is the supernatural, everlasting, living word of God. You know, Peter has been describing all the treasure that we have in Jesus Christ. If you go back with me to, to 1 Peter, he's been describing all these great things that we've been given. He's, we've been given uh, an inheritance, incorruptible, undefiled, that does not fade away, reserved for us in heaven. We're kept by the power of God. We've been given this abundant mercy. We have a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And all of it comes through faith. Now, where do we get faith? Well, we're told in Ephesians chapter 2 that faith is a gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. So your faith is a gift of God. That's where faith begins, but that's not where faith ends. Where does faith end? Faith comes from hearing, Paul tells us in Romans chapter 10, verse 17, and hearing from the word of God. We get our faith from the word of God. And, and the reason we get that is because that's where the gospel is. That's where the words for sanctification are, and that's where the words for glorification are. Do you realize that Everything you have in Jesus Christ and everything that you will have through Jesus Christ will come through this word. I mean, you are born again by this word. We're going to see today. You are sanctified by this word. And you are 
glorified by this word and by the spirit of God. And that's what Peter's going to be showing us today in this very important text in, in 1 Peter chapter 1. And so go with me to 1 Peter chapter 1. And let's begin here in verse number 22. Listen to what he says. Now, he, he's going to kind of reverse the process. I just said that by the word that you're born again, you're sanctified, and you're glorified. Well, he's going to start with sanctification. And look at the way he describes sanctification here in verse number 22. That's where we left off last time, verse number 22. He says, he says since, you have been pure, since you have purified your souls in obeying the truth through the Spirit and sincere love of the brethren, love one another fervently with a pure heart. Now, let me tell you what he's saying right there, just give you a general synopsis before we dig into it a little bit. What he's saying is, if you've been sanctified by obeying the truth, the truth is what? The Word of God, then you're to love one another with a pure heart. In other words, when you're born again and you're sanctified, the effect of that is that you love one another with a fervent and with a pure heart. Now, the purification that he speaks of right there, he says, he says you, since you have been purified in your soul, that's the same thing as sanctification. It means cleansing, a cleansing of the soul. How are, we cleansed by, how are our souls cleansed? By the word of God. You remember what Jesus prayed for his disciples in John chapter 17? He, his, this was his prayer. He says, Father, sanctify them by the truth, and your word is truth. How are we sanctified? Jesus said, sanctify them by truth, and your word is truth. But as we saw last week when we were looking at this, Sanctification doesn't come just by hearing the word. What do we have to do? We have to obey the word. And that requires our choice. We have to choose to obey the word. Now, what is the word? Well, let me tell you, what is the word of God? What is the truth of God? Listen to me. It is every word of this Bible. There are 66 books in this Bible. There are over 1,000, actually 1,189 chapters in this Bible. There are over 30,000 verses in this Bible. And there are over 800,000 words in this Bible. How many of those 800,000 are inspired? Every single one of them are inspired by God. That's what the Word says. That's what the Word tells us. Go back just a few books. Go back to 2 Timothy. Just a few books back. Back to Hebrews, past Hebrews. Little book of Philemon and look in chapter, or, or 2 Timothy, chapter number 3. And listen to what Paul says. He says, all Scripture is given by inspiration of God. What's all mean in the Greek, you Greek students? Y'all good at this. All, right? All. all, all how many words? All 800,000 words are given by inspiration of God. And it's profitable for doctrine and reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness. Now here's what it does. This is what the Word of God does. That the man or woman of God may be complete. What's it mean to be complete? That means to be sanctified that you may be complete, 
thoroughly equipped for every good work. See, the Bible's not just print on page, bound in leather or fake leather. The Bible is the supernatural word of God. Every single word of it is inspired. Oh, pastor, you don't believe that, do you? You better believe I believe that. I wouldn't waste my time up here doing this if I didn't believe that. I don't do this for the big bucks. I do this because I believe that this is the inspired word of God. I believe that when we bring forth this word that we're hearing from God. I mean, you don't think it's supernatural? Remember what we were told in Hebrews? Go over to Hebrews now, just a book or so over. And, and back to Hebrews, remember what we learned in Hebrews chapter number 4? Listen to what he says, the author of Hebrews, who I believe is Paul. Listen to what he says in chapter number 4 of Hebrews. Look at verse number 20, verse number, no, verse number 12. My page is ripped there, so I didn't, couldn't read it. He says, listen to what he says, verse number 12. He says, for the word of God is living, you catch that? Living and powerful. These words on these pages are alive. They are alive. They have the life of God in them. And so they have power. They have the power of God in them. So they're sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even to the division of the soul and spirit and the joints of the marrow. And it is a discerner of the thoughts and the intentions of the heart. It's powerful and living. That means that this book is a, not a magic book, it is a supernatural book. It has the power to save us, it has the power to sanctify us, and it has the power to, to uh, lead us to glory. Well, how does that work? I mean, you really believe that? Yeah, I believe that. Well, I believe that with all my heart. Well, how does it work? You want want me to tell you how it works? I don't know how it works. (laughs) Y'all heard me say that twice in two weeks. You will never hear it again. I don't know. I don't know how it works. You know, Jesus told a parable in Mark chapter 4. He says the farmer goes out, or really he used the metaphor of the farmer. He said the farmer goes out and he scatters the seed. And he goes out a few days later, and there's this little plant that comes up. And then that plant grows up, and that plant produces grain, and that grain is harvested. Does a farmer know how all of that works? He knows it's got to be watered. He knows he's got to get the weeds out of it if he's going to have a harvest. But he doesn't know how it works. But has he quit farming because he doesn't know how it works? No, he goes right on farming. I don't know how this word works, but I know I've got to get the weeds out of my life. I know it's got to be watered by the Spirit of God. But somehow, i got to believe that this word is what changes me. This word is what makes me love other people. This word is what sanctifies me. And if I really believe that, I'm going to spend a lot of time in the Word of God. If I really believe this is a supernatural book, this is going to do me a lot more good than television. This is going to do me a lot more good than watching movies. I mean, there's nothing wrong with those things in and of themselves. But it's the Word, the supernatural Word, 
that changes you. You go back to, to 1 Peter and listen again to what he says. He says, since you have purified your souls in obeying the truth through the Spirit and sincere love of the brethren, love one another fervently with a pure heart. You understand what he's saying right there? You know what the effect of sanctification is? You want to know whether or not you're truly sanctified, you're being sanctified? You're going to grow in love for one another. And it's going to be fervent love, and it's going to be pure love. What's fervent love? That means you just hug all over each other, and that's, what, that's not what he's talking about there. Fervent love is love that moves you to action. It moves you to care about people, not just, oh, man, brother, I'll pray for you, but brother, I'm going to help you. Because the more you become sanctified, the more you become like Jesus Christ. And the more you become like Jesus Christ, the more you love people fervently, the more you care about people. I worry about all of us. We don't care enough about people. And we can't make ourselves care enough about people unless we get into the Word, unless we get sanctified by the Word. And then when we get sanctified by the Word, not only do we care about people enough to help people, you know what? We have a pure love. You know what a pure love is? It's a love without ulterior motives. It's a selfless love. I'm going to help that person. I don't care if they got themselves into that mess. I don't care if I don't really like that person. I love the Lord, and the Lord's changed me, and I'm going to help that person. That's, that's what the Word does for you. You got a cold, stony heart? You know what God plows it up with and convicts you with? It's the Word of God. You've got to receive the Word of God. Now, I said he does this thing in reverse. He talks next about being born again. We're born again by the Word. Look at verse number 23. Having been born again, not of corruptible seed, but incorruptible seed through the Word of God, which lives and abides forever. This Bible right here is not going to abide forever. It's not a magic book. My car might get on fire and my Bible might burn up. I hope it doesn't. It'd be cool if it didn't. But it doesn't matter whether it burns up or not. There's another one somewhere I can pick up. There's a lot of it that's right in my mind and a lot of it in my heart. And it's going to abide forever. And so... I've been born again, and you've been born again, not of corruptible seed, but incorruptible seed through the word of God, which lives and abides forever. Now, that term born again, that's thrown around really loosely in our society. It, it's a term that's used sometimes for an idea or a product that makes some kind of comeback. I remember years ago when when Lee Iacocca came in and took over Chrysler after they were about to go bankrupt. Actually, they did go bankrupt, and they were, just, they, were, they were just about to go out of business. And he took them over, and he turned them into a viable corporation. They became like the number two auto seller in the world under Lee Iacocca. And everybody was saying, Chrysler has been born again. Not really. I hear baseball players or football players who revive their careers and somebody says they're born again. They've been born again. But worse than that, Gallup had a recent poll and polled Americans and asked how many Americans are born again. Over 40% of Americans in this country say that they're born again. Forget that. 
is nowhere near that number. Where that comes from is a misinterpretation of what it means to be born again. When Gallup asked those people, how did they get born again? They said, well, I walked. The pastor said, if you want to get born again, walk the aisle and you'll get born again. That won't get you born again. Raise your hand and you'll get born again. Accept Jesus and you'll get born again. Uh, uh, Invite Jesus into your life and you'll get born again. Now, all of those things are good things. And they might be signs that you've been born again, but those things do not get you born again. Three things have to take place for you to be born again. You can walk that aisle of your blue in the face, and that will not get you born again in and of itself. You can accept Jesus, and that will not get you. By the way, Jesus doesn't need your acceptance. He is king of kings and lord of lords. And and I understand where people say, I've accepted the gift of Jesus, and that I, I agree with. But, but you have to have three things that take place in order for you to be born again. First of all, he tells us right here, you have to receive, you're born again, not of corruptible seed, but incorruptible through the word of God. So first of all, you've got to hear the word of God. You've got to hear the gospel. And you've got to hear it throughout the word of God. Paul says, I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ and the power of God and the salvation for those who believe. I mean, the, the, you, you've got to hear the word of God. And what's the word of God? Let me tell you what the word of God is that you've got to hear. You've got to hear that the wages of sin is death. You've got to hear that, that all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. You've got to hear what Paul says in, in Romans, that there's none righteous, no, not one. You've got to hear the fact that that uh, Jesus died for you on a cross, and that's the only way you can be saved. That he shed his blood for you. He was buried in a grave, and he rose on the third day so that he could save you and give you his life. You've got to hear that. But hearing that won't just by itself save you. You've got to obey that word. You've got to, and how do I obey that word? I put all of my trust Everything. That's how you obey the word. Into the word of God. Every single bit of it I put into the word of God. So you, that's two steps. And then once you've believed, you receive the spirit of God. The incorruptible spirit of God. And that's when you're born again. You've got to hear the word. You've got to obey the word, and then you've got to receive the Spirit of God. There's some people taking the first step, maybe the second step. Maybe they think they've obeyed obeyed the word, but they really haven't heard the word. They really haven't heard the total word. They've heard the word. You know, a lot of the word that goes out now, you watch all these movies, these Christian movies that come out that tell you how you get saved. Believe in God. You believe there's a God, you believe there's a Jesus, you'll get saved. No. That won't save you. That's not the whole word. That's just part of the word. You've got to hear the whole word in order to be saved. And you've got to put all of your faith in it, and then you will be receive the Spirit of God. That's what Jesus said. That's what, the, that's what all the Gospels say. That's what the whole Bible says. You know, Jesus is in the whole Bible. 
You got to read the whole word to get this whole picture. He's in the entire Bible. I mean, we're studying Ecclesiastes on Wednesday night. Some people say, you will never find Jesus in Ecclesiastes. Yes, you will. You know, there's a line in Ecclesiastes that says, wisdom is like nails driven by the shepherd, the shepherd. You think maybe that might, who's the shepherd? Jesus Christ. What in the world do nails have to do with wisdom? Everything, if you're a Christian. Those nails is where wisdom begins. Understanding those nails that were nailed into his hands and into his feet in order to hang him on that cross so that you and I could be saved. But Jesus is, you find Jesus in the gospel throughout the Bible. It's almost everywhere in the Bible. Remember, we've been looking at a parallel passage. Go back to Ephesians chapter 1 and just let you see this in a different light. Really the same principle in a different light. Show you the consistency pattern of this throughout Scripture. But go over to Ephesians chapter 1. We've, this passage really parallels. Ephesians 1 is a close parallel to 1 Peter 1. That's why I've used it on a couple of occasions. But, but go to chapter 1 and look down in verse number 13. Chapter 1, verse number 13. And this is how you get saved. Right here. This, if you're saved, this is what happened to you. If all of this hasn't happened to you, you're not saved. In him, in Jesus, you also trusted after you did what? Heard the word of truth. What's the word of truth? The incorruptible seed. In him you also trusted after you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, in whom also having believed. Step number two. You've got to believe it. You can't just hear it. You've got to put all of your faith in it. That word believe is a little bit misleading because it really means to put all your trust in. You hear the word and you put all your trust in the word. And then when you do that, you're sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise and you are born again. And you're born again with the incorruptible word. Another way to translate that is the imperishable word. You're born again with the imperishable word and the incorruptible word. You're born again with the incorruptible spirit, the imperishable spirit. You understand how secure you are if you're truly born again? It's incorruptible. It, you can't corrupt it. It can't be corrupted if you're born again. You're sealed with this incorruptible spirit, the imperishable spirit, the imperishable word. Once that word is in you and you've obeyed it and it's become part of you, it, it won't be taken away. Then now he, he talks about, go back to First Peter, and he talks about our glorification. Our glorification. Look at verse uh, 24 and 25, and that's where we'll finish today. He says, all flesh is grass and all the glory of man as the flower of grass. The grass withers and the flower falls away, but the word of the Lord endures forever. 
He's quoting there from Isaiah 40, and really he was talking about, Isaiah was talking about the nation of Israel, how it had become great and how it had fallen away. But Peter takes this passage and he applies it to all of us. All flesh, all the things of this world, the glory of man, they're like a flower of grass that, that withers and the flower falls away. That's all of it. That's why Solomon says life without God is vanity of vanities. It's worthless. It will do you absolutely no good in eternity. You think about how much of your time you're spending on worthless things. Worthless things. What you learn on TV hopefully is not going to go with you to, into an eternity. What we, what we get uh, from this world is not going to go with us through to eternity. Vain philosophies and psychology of those things are not going to go with us into eternity. The only thing that will go with us into eternity are those things that are sanctified by God the Word of God and by God Himself. Now, there are some things that I, I say sports are vain, but if sports is your thing and God has sanctified that in your life, then it, some of the things you learn there are going to go with you into eternity. Your job without Jesus Christ is nothing but vanity, but if that's sanctified unto the Lord, some of the things you learn at that job will go with you until eternity. And one day in eternity, you are going to be glorified beyond your wildest dreams. Beyond your wildest dreams. But listen here real carefully what I'm about to say. What will remain of you when you die will not be what's been shaped by this world, but what has been shaped by the word of God. The part of your soul, your mind, your heart, your will, that's, that's been shaped by God and his word. That's what will go with you until eternity. And if your life is full of vanity, you're not going to have much character to take into eternity. You might not have enough character to get into eternity. Because I have to question believers who have no hunger for this word the supernatural word of God. It feeds you. It's the manna from heaven. It saves you. It sanctifies you. It's supernatural. And it prepares you for glory. It's the word of God that endures forever. It's how this word has changed you that will endure forever. And the more and more we have study the word and we obey the word, the stronger and deeper our character will be. And you know what? The more loving you will be. Well, I'll tell you what, you want to break down a hard heart, a racist heart, a judgmental heart, you get into the word of God. It'll get you, it will break that heart and, be, and God will be able to begin to shape that heart. A lot of you, you know, man, I read this, God, I don't like this. I mean, this, 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 you know what? Most people don't like the word. 
You read the word, a lot of Christians, oh man, that's, that's depressing. I'm not going to read that. It's not depressing. It's not depressing if you read it and you let it change you. It's the most exciting thing in the world. And it prepares you for glory. It's who you are in God's eyes. You're nothing without this word. This word has saved you. This word has sanctified you. And this word has prepared you for glory. Donald Trump's right. This book is everything. This book is everything. If you read it. If you read it. If you obey it. But the world, you know, the world and worldly people and worldly so-called Christians, they really don't want anything to do with this book. They ignore this book. And if you're not being changed by the word of God, who are you being molded and changed by? By the world. You know, I'm not, this is not pick on Donald Trump day, but, and I, you know, there's some things Donald Trump says, I say, get him, Donald. You know I mean? I love some of the things he says, and I'm not going to tell you to vote for him, or who to vote for, not to vote for, we don't get into that here. But I did watch one of his rallies the other day. I don't know if you saw this on the news or not. But there was this guy, it was a little Mexican guy, and he was standing there off to the side. I think he was staged. I think they had set him up there. And he was wearing a, a T-shirt that said, the KKK endorses Donald Trump. Well, you know he wasn't a KKK guy because they don't like Mexicans, so he couldn't have been a KKK guy. But Donald Trump, the guy stood there, got in the front, and, and I believe it was all staged. And Donald Trump said, get that guy out of here. And all the crowd stood up, hey, 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 hey. And, then, and then, the, then Donald Trump went over there and he walked over there like it was WrestleMania and he started staring the guy down. And they would go, ah, they were screaming and jumping up and yelling. And I thought, I wondered, why are so many people excited about Donald Trump? You know why? Because we're a world that has been molded and shaped by reality TV, by Jerry Springer, WWF, that fake stuff, man. It's fake. If you guys believe that's real, I got some land I want to sell you down in the swamps down here. It's fake stuff, but people love it. And now you got a guy running for the president, and he's, he's got a wave of those people supporting him. And again, I think he says some great things. But I was sitting there thinking, why are they supporting him? Well, that's, that's what we've become. People sit around all day long, and they watch Judge Judy and, and, and Oprah and uh, World Wrestling Federation, and they're shaped by that. And that's what our culture is now. You talk about sad. You, talk, you saw those, the last debate, it was like a wrestling match. That's what we've become. You know why? Because we've ignored the word 
of God. And I'll tell you what, Christian friend, we're as guilty as the world of this area. We've ignored this word. We've ignored it. And we're paying the price now. Not only does this world ignore this, this word, it wants to destroy this word. It's been trying to destroy this word for thousands of years. It doesn't have to anymore. Nobody reads it. Not many people read it. They banned it. They burned it. They trampled on it. And all they do when they do that, they destroy and print and paper because the word of God endureth forever. Voltaire, that so-called great philosopher, French philosopher of the 18th century, bragged back in 1778 that within 100 years, human philosophy, philosophy, philosophy would relegate the Bible to museums and uh, archives of libraries. That's where it would be. It's the only place you would ever see a Bible anymore. That's what he said. Well, let me tell you what. He's long since died, and his philosophies have gone with him. But the Bible remains. As little as it is read, it's still the number one seller in the world, bookseller in the world. There are over, it's translated into over 2,000 languages. And nobody's done anything to stop God's word from going forth because it is the supernatural word of God. It has the power to change lives. It has the power to change lives, the supernatural power to change lives. Stephen Cole tells the story of how one day the head of the Bible Society in Zimbabwe, a guy named Gaylord Kambarami. He was passing out Bibles in a community, and he offered a Bible to this particular man. And the man says, I'll take your Bible, but I'll tell you what I'll do with your Bible. I'll take your Bible, and I'll use your paper to roll my cigarettes. Gaylord said, I'll tell you what, I'll make a deal with you. I'll give you this Bible if you promise me that every time you roll a Cigarette, you'll read the page. The guy said, I'll do that. So he gave him the Bible. And Gaylord didn't see this man for several years. And 15 years later, he went to a Methodist convention, and he saw the speaker up there. He, he said, man, that guy looks familiar. I, I, I've seen him somewhere in my life, but I, I can't remember who he is. Well, the speaker knew who he was. And listen to what he said to him. He said, this man doesn't remember me, but 15 years ago he gave me a New Testament even though I told him I would use the pages for cigarettes. And I did just that. I smoked Matthew. I smoked Mark. I smoked Luke. But when I got to John 3.16, I couldn't smoke anymore. It touched my heart. It saved my soul. That man became a pastor and evangelist speaking at the Methodist Convention of Zimbabwe. You think maybe the word has power? You better believe it does. It has the power to save us, to sanctify us, 
to lead us to glory. To make us holy so that we can love others with a pure and fervent love. I want to close with just a vivid description of the Bible written by some unknown author. We don't know who he is, but, but listen to it because I think he nails it. Listen to what he says about this description he gives of the Bible. He says, the Bible is the mind of God, the state of man, the way of salvation, the doom of sinners, and the happiness of believers. Its doctrines are holy. Its precepts are binding. Its histories are true. And its decisions are immutable. Read it to be wise. Believe it to be saved. Practice it to be holy. It contains light to direct you, food to support you, and comfort to cheer you. It is a traveler's map, the pilgrim's staff, the pilot's compass, the soldier's sword, and the Christian's character. Here is paradise restored, heaven opened, and the gates of hell disclosed. Christ is its grand subject, our good its design, and the glory of God its end. It should fill the memory, rule the heart, and guide the feet. Read it slowly, frequently, and prayerfully. It is a mine of wealth, a paradise of glory, and a river of pleasure. Follow its precepts, and it will lead you to Calvary, to the empty tomb, to a resurrected life in Jesus Christ. Yes, to glory itself for eternity. Pretty strong, good book, huh? Do you believe that about the Bible, what I just read? Do you really believe it's a supernatural book? Do you really believe it has the power to change you? If you really believe that, then you won't leave it sitting on your coffee table. I promise you. You're going to pick it up, and you're going to read it, and it's going to change you forever. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, we just thank you for your word, your holy word. Your word that lifts up our Savior, Jesus Christ. Your word that saves us, Lord. Your word that sanctifies us. Your word that leads us to glory. Father, we are so blessed to be in possession of this word and how foolish we are to neglect this word. How it must hurt your heart, Lord, when we neglect this word. You've given us all this knowledge, all this wisdom, all this power for our good, this blessed letter from you, Lord. Help us to make it a priority in our lives, not as some magic book, Lord, but as your supernatural, everlasting word that endures forever. Thank you, Jesus, for your word. We thank you in your precious name. I pray. Amen. I pray. 
Amen. I pray. Amen. I pray. Amen. I pray. Amen. I 